Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola. Thank you for tuning in to the Hello Latino podcast. I'm Odalis Jasmine, and I'm excited for y'all to listen to Alex Magaña's powerful story. He's covering a topic a lot of people, men, Latino men don't talk about, depression and machismo culture. He opens up about his upbringing, his juventud, and how it all led to a moment that changed his life. And in honor of Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm honored to end July with his story. Tengan su cafecito listo and maybe grab some tissues. Connect with Alex on IG at Alex Alvarito and find him on LinkedIn. All righty, Alex. <laughs> Alex Magaña, right? That's how you say your name, right? Yeah, yeah. Name. Don't All forget right. about the accent but mark on the end. I know, my ganya, you know, the there end. You go. Um, well, I'm excited to talk to you because for those who are listening, I, um, you reached out to me and it was kind of when I first started launching this project and talking about Hello Latino. And, you know, I started getting these like really cool DMs and text messages and just people reaching out to me and telling me their story. And you were one of those people. And you took it a step further. You were like, let's jump on a call. I want to tell you about my story. And yeah, we jumped on a call. And literally for days after, I was like, man, Alex is so powerful. Like his story is so powerful. And I know it can touch so many people the way it like really touched me. So I was like, I need to get an interview with him. Like I need to have him on this podcast. I need him. <laughs> I need him to have the space to tell his story because it's so it's that powerful. And so here you are. <laughs> um, and you're about to tell us your story. And honestly, I'm like preparing myself because you told me, you know, just the very basic and I'm like ready to hear all of it, you know, all the twists, the turns and everything, all the feels that you were feeling. So I'm ready. I'm ready just as the audience is, you know. <laughs> um, but first, you know, I want to give a shout out to Lenny because that's how we got connected, right? Yeah, actually. Um I believe he shared it on, either, it was either LinkedIn or IG. And then the title of your podcast just caught my attention. I was like, mm -hmm. all right, this is cool. And then the artwork was just, all right, this is really cool. I need to listen yeah. to it. And I just like, once I heard that first episode, I was like, yo, her story, super relatable. Um, the Latin history. I mean, you were talking about how you saw John Lugis Amos, uh, uh -huh. uh, like his, what was it, Latin history for morons. And mm -hmm. I was like, yo, I, I saw that too. That's, it was just Dude, so relatable. It's such a dope special. I was like, more people need to see that. It's so exactly. Dope. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Well, let's start. Let's jump into this conversation. And at first I want to start. I always, I always ask the person, like, how do you identify? You know, there's a lot of different labels and identifiers out there. And I want to just give you the platform, you know, what do you identify as? Yeah. Well, before I answer that question, like just a big thank you for, having me on um, on your platform like this is this is huge and it's really going to make a huge impact within our Latinx community and I think I just saw that you hit over 1k listeners so big I did. congrats to you <laughs> so just gonna, yeah and I know it's just going to keep going up from here so big thank you for welcoming me and having me part of this show so I'm excited to do this and as for what do I identify for you know that question was, it was like, it didn't really play too much impact until after high school. Um, reason being is, and like before, during that time in high school, like I was trying to fit in with everyone else. I wasn't really trying to get to know myself or trying to really do anything. And I think that kind of goes to everyone in a way. 
Like yeah. you're trying to find yourself, but then you're kind of at the same time trying to fit in the different places. So I really lost sight of like my Mexican culture. So after high school, after applying for all these applications, you know, there's always that one section, are you Hispanic? And I'm like, does that really pertain to me? Because it doesn't really. Mm-hmm. Like um, the more I learned about it, the term Hispanic was used to kind of generalize um, an entire population where it's like, if you're really Hispanic, you're either going to be from like Spanish side or you don't really fit into a specific category. So like for me, mm-hmm. like there's no Mexican-American spot because that's how I identify as a Mexican-American mm-hmm. because for one, both of my parents are Mexicanos, like mi mama's de Guadalajara, mi papa's de Guanajuato. So like I have that mm-hmm. like just burned inside me and I love that. Hella Mexican. Hella Mexican, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and on top of that, like I was born here. So mm-hmm. I don't want to also lose sight of that. So being able to identify as Mexicano, yeah, Americano, it's awesome. And on top of that, I also like throwing Chicano in there because I feel like politically inclined to speak up about certain issues that other people really, really wouldn't be able to speak up about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's a really important thing. And you touched on like not knowing what box to check off and. And that's just, it's, it's a struggle. Right. And like, I recently asked the question on social media, like, what do you identify as? It's, is it Hispanic? Is it Latinx? Is it Latino, Latina? And it's crazy to see how many people were like all over the place. They're like, neither, you know, identify as Hondureña, as, you know, like Puerto Rican or Mexican. And like, you know, it's, very interesting for me and like this is a learning process for all of us right to learn mm-hmm. like everyone has their own different titles and identifiers what they feel like they need to identify as or what they feel most comfortable with or most like like this hella encapsulates who I am you know Mexicano Americano whatever that is like for you like that's how you feel and like it's just really interesting for me to to learn that too, as I go, you know, learning people's identifiers and really just, you know, being in the seat of the learner. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And yeah, like coming out of high school, applying for all these college apps, I'm like, I really need to dig deeper. And the more that I started learning about like my history and my own roots, the more I fell in love with my Mexican culture. So mm. now like if I see Mexican American, yeah. then that's the one box I will always check. You're like, yes. And if I, if there's Hispanic there and there's nothing else, I'll check the other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you write it in, right? Like exactly. American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's jump into your story. I'm like, so eager to do that. Sabes, I'm like, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> um, but let's, yeah, let's, let's dig into your story. I just want to give you the space, the, you know, the, the chance for you to just open up about your story and we can start from the beginning we can start wherever you'd like to but i just want to give you that chance to open up Ooh, like where do i even begin like this is this is something huge and then the breathing um, exercise first <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's that Wusa from white Bath. Wusa, it- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so i don't know if you know but this month is actually minority mental awareness month so see them um, right now right (laughs) so i think this is like perfect so i think one of the big things i really want to just say before getting started is be ready to shed some tears for some of you that Mm -hmm. get emotional i know i might be shedding a few so (laughs) (laughs) um so growing up i come from a family of three so it's me and my two younger sisters uh, so I'm being the oldest and I'm the only guy in the family. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area, so I've been in the Bay Area all my life. I moved around everywhere from Union City and then all over the place in Fremont. So like, I know the Bay Area like the back of my hand. <laughs> um, growing up, you know, I we struggled as, as a family, especially in the, in the very beginning. I'm pretty sh- sure my sisters don't remember this, but... I remember actually living in a room at my grandma's place called my abuelita or maybe abuelita, to get that right. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived in the room and it was just me and my parents and one of my little sisters for a while. And I remember every morning 
just like your your typical Mexican, the abuela Terita, go go get the eggs the, from the chicken house. And I was like, okay. As a little kid going into the chicken house, getting some eggs and stuff. But we struggled. We were low income. My mom trabajaba limpiando casas and my dad was a car mechanic. And so from there, like they slowly started making moves. We ended up moving next door to the house next to my grandma because, you know, la familia quiere estar juntos. Like in cerca de todo. So that was a, that was a plus. Mm -hmm. Como siempre, exactly. <laughs> and that was a plus. I think because of that, I really got really close to a lot of my family, especially mi bisabuela, que pues en paz descanse, love her to death. Um, she practically raised me and, and my sisters. And um, I mean, on top of that, you know, we had our, our typical parties where the dads were always drinking. And that's kind of where like the story begins. Um, my dad, as much as I love my dad to death, he was an amazing father. Cuando no estaba tomando. That's, um, that's probably the biggest part. Like whenever he was with his friends drinking, he just became a whole different person. Uh, and along with that, he started hanging out with the wrong people and he ended up becoming addicted to drugs. So from there, it just became like a constant process of my dad always drinking and um, always doing some kind of drug. And from there, my mom started to get affected. It started affecting all of us. So growing up, there was a lot of times where my parents would be arguing. You know, I don't, I don't think my dad ever really laid a hand on my mom. And from what I remember, and I'm pretty sure he never did, but there was times where I was afraid that he would because I was no longer able to recognize him. You now my dad was the my dad was that type of person that would love helping people out. Like I'm the same way. I think that's probably one of the best qualities I got from my dad. I love helping people. And that's actually one of the reasons why I ended up reaching out to you and I'm like this is one way I can share my story and know that other people are not alone. So yeah, I'm going to reach out sure. to you and let's stand this exactly. I'm like especially within the Latino community, we all know that alcoholism is like ingrained mm -hmm. into the culture and that's oh, yeah. something that it's, yeah it's a that's problem definitely, it's it's that it, mixed with machismo culture and ito. there's so much right there's so much to unpack there yeah there's <laughs> we'll get so to much that later to exactly <laughs> so yeah i mean there was times where they were consistently arguing and and it was scary you know like the first thing that I had to do is run and check into my sisters to see how they were doing. Like, that's the first thing I would do. Like my mom would be like, go check on your sisters. And I was like, okay, I'd run. And I obviously they'd be like scared and terrified with what was going on. Like they would hear my dad yelling, my dad throwing things. And I'd have to do my best to calm them down and stop them from going outside. And it was like a mm -hmm. constant battle of that all throughout like my childhood years. Like it got to the point where I remember seeing so many different police officers here and there. And it, it was just scary. It got to the point where like I knew some police officers knew me by by my name. I'm like, well, mm. do you have you really been here that often? <laughs> like yeah. uh, and okay, like my sisters don't remember too much of that. Yeah. And unfortunately, um they don't have because of that, they don't have that kind of close relationship with my dad now because i feel like they they might have although they might have some good memories with them the, the majority of the time that they've known him was cuando estaba tomando when and stuff so like there's some things that kind of led up to them but that's their struggle so i'm not going to get into that <laughs> yeah a whole different side to unpack too yeah um especially como una hija con su papá that's a different story too mm -hmm. yeah so my uh my dad, though, like, cuando no estaba tomando, like I said, he loved helping people. He's the type of guy that would take the family out for trips. Like, my dad would be like, all right, let's go somewhere. And, like, mm -hmm. the whole family would end up going to the lake, to the park or something. But then, de ahí empezaba lo nuevo. Like, he'll find a beer and he'll start drinking. And he had this habit that cuando empezaba de tomar, he didn't know when to stop. And that just led to issues. So... Yeah, like my dad, though, when he wasn't drinking, he was my best friend. And 
that is something that I know um, most of my family already knows that I was very attached to my dad because like I would tell him everything. Um, and it got to the point, his drinking issues and my parents like arguments got to the point where my mom couldn't take it anymore. And I remember one day, that's probably one of the, one of the big arguments that kind of just led up to my parents' divorce was, um, I was probably like seven or eight years old and can't remember how the argument started, but I do know that there was alcohol and drugs involved and my sisters were crying. I had to run in and check in on them. And then I heard, I heard something and I like ran back and I, apparently something fell. My dad threw something and it got to the point where I was like scared for my mom. I was like, what, what is going on? I had to get in the middle of both of them and kind of just stop everything that was happening. And we left, my mom got us, we left. And I was, I had, my mom had this conversation with me and I told her, I'm like, mom, you need to leave my dad. Like, it's the best for all of us. And I was just like, I had this conversation with my mom. I was like seven or eight years old. Mm. Like, like that's huge. Just thinking about, just thinking about that itself is like, when do you talk exactly telling his mom to leave her husband, the dad of, the kids like that's just huge itself and I didn't think too much about it until I had this conversation with my mom over breakfast a while back and she's like do you remember that and I was like yeah actually I do and that's Mm -hmm. kind of where like my mom ended up finding a place of our own and that itself was already a struggle because and we all know that they don't make that much so she was always she was consistently working days and nights sometimes she'd have to work multiple jobs um to support a family of three and did you feel in that moment that you were like acting like dad because you were the only guy in the house right even though you were young did you put that responsibility on yourself Honestly, I felt like I definitely had to. Like I was the being the only man. Like this kind of ties into machismo de la itself. Casa, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this mm-hmm. kind of ties into machismo itself. You know, as uh, as being like when it comes down to machista, you need to be able to provide for the family and defend your family, protect your family. And at that point, mm-hmm. that eight year old boy, I turned into that. I was like, I'm not going to let anyone hurt my family. Like especially not my mom or my sisters. And that's why I had that conversation with my mom. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely felt that responsibility <laughs> big time. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like it was, uh, it was difficult once we ended up splitting up. Like we already struggled paying the rent before we my parents split up like I remember running home from school just to make sure there was no like rental notice on the door saying you're overdue or an eviction notice because we were like past due you know like and that was just me still as a little kid running home from school like oh, shit there better not be anything on the door mm-hmm. and then when my parents split up my mom ended up getting our own place like I said and we moved and from there like, everything kind of just changed you know like my best friend was no longer there to really talk to about everything. Like he had his own issues to deal with within himself. And then I kind of started to turn into this person that's like, okay, you know what? Um, my mom's doing this for my sisters. I got to make sure that everything I do is going to be for them. I want to be able to do the best that I can for them. And I remember my mom always telling me, school comes first. La educación es lo más importante ahorita. And I was like, okay. So I, as much as I wanted to, I just kept going to school, got into high school. And that itself was already difficult. You know, they were trying to figure out who you are as a person in high school. And me, I was like, um, I got so much going on. I just want to fit in with where I am. I don't want to like be someone different. From there, it just became a whole different thing. I remember my freshman year, I was... I was the type of person that got along with everyone. I talked to everyone. Um, I was like always bringing that good vibe to everybody. Yeah. And this is freshman year of high school? Of high school, yeah. Okay. And 
this was still my parents were still like finalizing their divorce and everything. And I remember at home, I I was just studying, reading, getting ready to go to bed. And then my dad showed up out of nowhere. I was like, okay, this is weird. Um, and I know he was drinking. He tried telling me that he wasn't, but I know he was drinking. And it got to the point where they started arguing again. And I'm like, on a school night, are you kidding me? Like, I'm just trying to go to bed. And my sisters were already in bed and they were a little bit older now. So they, um, they knew what was going on and they just kind of stayed in the room and they were arguing and it got to the point where I was so like frustrated that with everything that was going on, I actually told my dad to leave. I was like, I cussed him out in, in Spanish and English. I told him just leave. Cause like, I couldn't take this anymore. Exactly. I'm like, I couldn't take this anymore. Like you're not only ruining things for my mom and what we have here now, but you're literally not helping us out. Period. Todo el dinero que ganaba se lo gastaban alcohol and drugs. So he wasn't really helping us out. Period. My mom was the one doing it all. And yeah, I told him to leave. And then that morning I, I woke up and then, my mom was like, hey, your dad was in an accident. I was like, what? I freaked out. I'm like, oh, my God. The last words that I said was, like, leave. I don't want to say the words on the, on here, but they were some pretty vulgar words. That's all I'm going to say. And I broke down. I'm like, oh, my God, it's my fault. Like, I caused this. Like, I felt guilty for the fact of what happened. Like, my dad got in a terrible car crash. And I just felt so guilty for everything that happened. And my mom's like, it wasn't your fault. You know, like, you can't blame yourself. I'm like, but those were the last words that I said to my dad. Like, if something happened, I would have been, like, it would have, like, hurt me emotionally. Like, I would have been, uh, but um, I ended up finding out he was okay. But, again, he called me the next day. And he's like, Miko, like, just want to make sure I wasn't drinking. You know, I just don't know what happened. I was like, okay, you weren't drinking. Sure. Yes, he se quedó. And then a few mm -hmm. months. Yeah. Yes, I, yeah. yeah. And then a few months later, he got deported. Um, and that was, that kind of just changed everything from there on. Like, not just having, not my parents splitting up already. Like, that itself was already an issue going on. But at the same time, I was still able to see my dad, like, on some weekends, you know. But once he got deported, I was like, okay, this is different now. This is completely different. I can't really see my dad in person as much as I, I would like to. And everything just changed. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it's going to be a wake-up call. Maybe this is going to help him change. And sure enough, like a few months go by, he came back. I don't know how he made it, pero cruzó. Mm -hmm. And he survived. <laughs> and he came. We never know how to make it. we don't. <laughs> But yeah, he came back and I remember because I finished like at the pool with some friends and I'm like going back home and then I see this guy walking and I'm like, that looks like my dad. But venía like todo vestido, like a lawyer. And I'm like, he looks like a completely changed man. Mm -hmm. And how many years was this? Like how many years was he? He got deported, deported and then he came back within a few months. Oh, yeah, okay, so okay. still that same freshman year. And when mm -hmm. I saw him, I was like, he looks like a completely new man. And my mom was like, she broke down in tears because she didn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. She's like, he looks completely different. He looks really good. And I was like, oh my God, my family's going to get back together. Like, it's going to happen. Like, I want, I want to have my family together. Like, that's the biggest thing with me. And this is actually like, falls within my mom's birthday in like June. And he told me the story about how he crossed and I like broke down in tears. I was like, I can't believe this. I mean, my dad is actually opening up to me about these things. And that's when I was kind of like, mm -hmm. wow. And he, he was holding, he was holding back his tears because he didn't want, he didn't want me to see that he was crying, but I could tell mm -hmm. that he wanted to share those feelings with me, but he just didn't want to, because obviously machista, you don't want to show your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he told me all these things about how like Lisa una promesa la Virgen de Guadalupe that he wasn't gonna drink anymore. And I was like, okay, he's gonna be a changed man. Okay. The next day my mom's birthday comes around and he started to drink. And mm. he got a little upset because my mom went out for her birthday. 
And that just caused the whole issue again. Ida a whole new argument. Um, cops all over the place again. And that w- and the last thing I remember from that day was him running inside the house because the cops were coming, leaving out the back door, and then he was gone. Um, and then I got a call the next morning from him because he was in prison. Um, or not prison, but jail, the county jail. And he was like, Nico, I have some news for you. They're going to send me back again. And I was like, damn, really? I like, I just had you back. Why would you do this? Like, I was so upset with him. And then at the same time, this is actually one of the reasons why, like, when it comes down to religion, I believe in certain things, but I don't really want to go too far because like when it comes down to Catholicism, I studied a little bit about their history and it was kind of crazy. But mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons why I actually believe in La Virgen de Guadalupe a lot was because when he told me that he made that promise to her that he wasn't going to drink and he drank, I have this thing or this um, idea that she was the one que lo castigo and that's why she, he's back. That's why they sent him back. And he's been in Mexico ever since. So he got deported twice within my freshman year. And he's been in Mexico since. Wow. And that just changed. That changed me entirely, like sophomore through senior year. Instead of being that guy that talked to everyone, that was bringing all those positive vibes, I just shut down. I went into a little shell and I mm. just became my own person. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay quiet. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to study, focus. And that is it. I ended up being that quiet kid in the back of the class. And that's how they knew me throughout high school after that. They don't remember the Alex. They used to talk to everyone, get along with everybody. And I think that's kind of the start of how um, I started to get into like this deep depression. And I didn't realize what was going on until many years later. So fast forward, get into um, graduate high school. And then college applications begin and as a first like I'm also first generation so I had no one to help me like I didn't know what I was doing I, the, the, struggle the struggle of applying to schools was just a whole other thing like I'm like how am I going to pay for this what am I going to do my mom trabajando casas, you know mm-hmm. and even on the weekends when she wasn't cleaning houses she would actually wake us up early to go sell at the flea market, La Pulga or El Tianguis, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> La Pulga. <laughs> hey, the flea market was lit. I, I used to go a lot as a child. Yeah, I, Good memories. Well, if you were ever the one in San Jose or any other ones, you probably ran into me selling things. <laughs> no, I'm the one in San Diego. <laughs> uh, but I actually remember, that's something I did all throughout high school, was waking up early every weekend, como las cuatro o cinco de la mañana, just to go make a little extra cash. That way we can actually have mm-hmm. some food on the table or be able to pay rent for the next day. So I did all that throughout high school. I ended up finding like a job, like a seasonal job in high school also at like Great America, which apparently all the teenagers do. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> but that itself, like all, I took all that into consideration when applying to school. I'm like, who's going to pay for all this? Like college is expensive and I didn't know much about anything I did like I no one really taught me too much I remember in high school they're like there's financial aid but I'm like how do you apply to financial aid like how does it work mm-hmm. the money the government just gives you money like is that really true like <laughs> yeah yeah there's so many questions that you're like free money <laughs> just yeah. like that and no not just like that and it was a process like I remember if I missed the deadline and they were telling me about this other form. And I'm like, but I thought I did that form. And it was just like a constant battle of going back and forth. And mm-hmm. I figured, you know what, the best way I can really help my mom out is by not going to a four-year directly. So instead of going to a four-year, I ended up going to a community college first because I learned that the first two years are the same anywhere. So I might as well just save some money, go to community college. And that's what I ended up doing. So mm-hmm. was it? And this is a very common mm-hmm. thing that that people in the Latino community, low income community in general, that's what they do, right? 
they choose to go to community college. And there's for me, you know, personally, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just hard. Those first couple of times you're trying to figure out college applications and it's so hard. And there's not a lot of people out there to help with those kind of things. Yeah. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to community college. So I ended up going to De Anza for more than two years <laughs> because, well, I ended up going through like after I graduated high school, got into college, and I was like, all right, cool. I'm really starting to get to know who I am. I'm starting to do my own thing. And something just wasn't right. Like, I wasn't really that dedicated or motivated to keep um, studying. And I was just like forcing myself to go to school. And on top of that, I was also working full time también. So, studying full time and working mm -hmm. full time is a load to carry. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Something's not right. But I just kept battling through. And then my schoolwork started to get affected. And it got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I can't take this. And I told my mom, I'm like, ya no puedo. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, it's que no puedo. And she was telling me, you know, I didn't come here for you to say you were going to give up. And it's like, damn. I mean, I know, but I'm not giving up. I'm just like, I'm struggling here. But mm -hmm. my mom, I love her to death and I thank her for everything. But all this is like, she didn't really know how to really talk to me about certain things. Mm -hmm. And I kind of blame myself for that because I wasn't open about anything. So of course she's not going to know how to talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. Shut off. And also, it's, I mean, touching on one thing that you said earlier, like you didn't know how to pinpoint that you were going through depression because we're not taught mm -hmm. those things. You know, we're not taught to, we're not taught about mental wellness and mental health and what, what these things mean and what it feels like, especially, you know, like growing up, like so young and in a Latino culture, like there's mm -hmm. a lot, there's a lot that plays into that low income. Like there's so yeah. much. <laughs> We don't even go deep into all that, but I mean, even that, I want to like remind the audience, like you also didn't know how to talk about these things because you didn't know what it was. Yeah. You just knew how you were feeling and you're like, I don't know, something's just mm -hmm. off, right? And I was like, you know what? I'll just go to bed and I'll just be fine the next day. And I was like my constant routine. I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling this, but you know what? I'm just going to go to bed and I'm going to go. Little did I know. Mm -hmm being tired all the time was a symptom of depression and I was but time went on I talked to my mom a little bit and she's like you know what take a break because you need it and I was like okay so instead of um I ended up dropping out of like multiple courses one uh one semester or wait the answer goes by quarters one quarter ended up working <laughs> ended up getting promoted at work to like uh, a manager and then from there, I was like, all right, I got my stuff together. I'm going to go back to school. And I started again. And the same process kept going on. I'm like working full time. And again, it just kept going on. And after a while, I transferred to San Jose State. So Spartan up. <laughs> Spartan up. Um, <laughs> and the same thing again, working full time and and studying full time, and it got to the point where everything was catching up to me. You know, as a first generation, you have this, you have this idea that your parents came here to provide you with all these opportunities. So you want to make sure you take advantage of this. And I use that to, as like a motivator. I'm like, okay, my parents sacrificed everything. They left everything. They left their families. They left um, their love. They left their loved ones, they left their families, they had on todo to come to a place where they had no idea where um, about anything. Little did they know the language. And I'm over here complaining that I can't do one thing. <laughs> so there was this burden of like, I'm carrying all this weight on my back about how my family, yeah, maybe like as that successful guy that's doing his best to get in school, he's working full time, he's studying full time, like he's going to be very successful. E, mm -hmm. and apart of this all the being a first gen like you're doing everything on your own so there is this huge amount of pressure on my back that I don't want to disappoint anyone and I was doing my best to fight through it que llegó un punto where I was so overwhelmed I couldn't take it anymore 
I'm like, I don't want to tell my family that I'm struggling with my courses um, because they already see me, see me as this successful person. Like, I don't want them, I don't want to disappoint them, you know, especially my mom. I have cousins that really look up to me for everything that I've been able to accomplish so far. I mean, like, your dad is no longer in the picture. You lost the guy that you were able to talk to about any about everything. And yet here he is still trying to accomplish something for himself. He's going to school. He's doing everything he can to be successful. But deep down inside, I was struggling. I was struggling to really know who I am as a person. I was struggling with my courses. I was so overwhelmed. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I was so overwhelmed that it got to the point where I was just no longer motivated to do anything. I remember waking up um, one day and I'm like, I just don't feel motivated to do anything anymore. Like I, I don't, I got tired. I was so mentally and physically exhausted from working from all those late nights because I would always work um, in the afternoon after classes that I'd get home late and I study late and I go to bed late. I was so exhausted that I just couldn't couldn't keep going. And I remember reaching out to my best friend at the time. And I was like, hey, man, I, I don't feel so good about myself. And he was like, what do you mean? Are you trying to hurt yourself? And I was like, no. Um, and he didn't really know how to like talk to me about these things. But that was probably the mm-hmm. first conversation I was actually to ha- able to have with someone about things that I was feeling, but you know what I ended up doing? I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go to bed. I'm gonna feel better tomorrow. Mm. One of the worst things I could have done because sure enough, I woke up that next morning. I didn't want to get out of bed. I was like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get out of bed. I had to wake up early for an early shift and I was just so out of it. I got up and I'm like, okay, it's time to get this day going. And if I'm the type of person that is super, that is always happy, loves to smile, loves to share his vibe with everybody. But that day, that was not me. I was a whole other person. Um, so on my way to work, normally I like to listen uh, to something to just get me going through the day. I didn't listen to anything. I was like, it's not going to change anything. Get to work. Sure enough, I mess up the simplest task. And it was just a disaster at work for me. And then from there, I worked for a few hours. And then I left because I had to go to class. And I was just bawling. Like, I was crying my eyes out on my way to school. And I'm like, what is going on with me? Like, I can't do anything anymore. Like, I don't want to work this much anymore. I don't want to study anymore. Like, there was no place for me to go. And I ended up missing one exit. And I was like, okay, I'll just take the long way to school. And somehow I just, I ended up on 101. I took a really long way to school. I think I probably looped around San Jose State probably more than once. <laughs> and I ended up, I was like, I, I can't, like I was just bawling so much and I didn't know what was going on. I had to pull over. I'm like, I can't be driving like this. And pulled over and I ended up on this overpass on 101. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not really motivated to do anything. Like, I'm not, I'm struggling with all these things. I don't want to tell my family that um, that I'm struggling. I don't want to disappoint them. Maybe the easier way out for me is to just kind of end it all. And I ended up, I can't remember how I got up, but I ended up on top of the, um, this fence on an overpass. And um People probably saw this all over the place. I know San Jose State was talking about it for some time. But I was that guy on the bridge willing to jump and end everything that he's done because I was just so overwhelmed with this pressure, this burden on my back of everything that was going on. My dad, I couldn't talk to him about anything anymore because if there was something going on with me, I felt like it would lead him to start drinking even more. Um, I didn't want to tell my mom all these things because 
I didn't want to let her down. And she was always telling me just to push through it and push through it, that everything was going to be fine. Just push through it, which I should have listened to her. But at the same time, like I should have been able to talk to her about everything that was going on, but I really wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I got up and I sat up there for a good almost an hour. Little did I know that there was people around me. Um, I was on top of that bridge. I remember this lady stopped by and was like, hey, son, what are you doing up there? Like, don't, you don't have to do this. And I didn't pay attention. I was just like, so out of it. I just ignored her. And she got in her car and drove off. Mm. That, at that moment, I was like, damn. Maybe I should, maybe I should literally jump because at this point, like there's nothing for me anymore. I've, um, I lost all motivation for everything. And then you got on two guys and those two guys ended up being from Fremont. I don't know what they were doing in San Jose, but they ended up being from Fremont. (laughs) And they were able to connect with me. And they're like, hey, man, what's your name? And I just kept ignoring them. And then I can't remember what question really like, caught my attention. But I was able to start a conversation with them. And that really helped. By this time, San Jose PD was already there. CHP blocked off the freeway uh, below. And that itself was a whole different thing. Um, they had to shut down multiple lanes and there was only one lane going. And you would, I would hear people yelling, you won't jump, you do it, you can jump. And I was like, there is so many things getting thrown at me. It just wasn't helping. Mm-hmm. And then hearing people saying, you won't jump. And I'm like, what is wrong with people? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but those guys like as much as they did they did their best to really talk me out of it they still couldn't and that's when san jose pd called in their tactical negotiator and his name was joe um and honestly a big big thank you to him he really he really helped me like check back in into reality, like everything that was going on. Like all these cops were telling me, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. But they weren't really able to have um, like this, this connection with me to really like bring me down. It was just those two guys and Joe. And after that hour, they managed, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, Hey, uh, we have your mom on the phone. And I just broke down even more. I'm like, oh my God, my mom knows that I tried to, that I'm trying to kill myself. I can only imagine the the stress that I put on her during that time. And Joe was like, come on, Alex, come down. Let's, let's talk. And I came down and Joe gave me the biggest hug I've ever gotten from any guy in a very, very long time. And I just broke down. I'm like, damn. <laughs> um, I just broke down and he thanked me for for what I did, you know, because coming down is not not an easy thing. And after that, that's kind of where I realized that I was in some serious need for help and they took they ended up taking me actually got put in handcuffs so that was my first ever experience in handcuffs so put me in handcuffs they took me in um and i got some help ended up seeing a psychologist where they uh took me i was put on a 5150 hold talked to a psychologist and a psychiatrist and they diagnosed me with major depression. And I was like, what, how can I be depressed? There's no reason for me depressed. But little did I know there was 
a lot of reasons for me to be depressed. (laughs) (laughs) And I will, they, they took me to this like emergency services place for, for those with mental illness. And they actually ended up reaching out to San Jose state and were able to find me resources at school to talk to someone. And I ended up talking to someone, they emailed all my professors. And I remember going to school, I I took like a few days off. And the following week, I ended up going to school. And one of my professors, she knew what was going on. because she, she, um, she really knew me as a student, but she could tell that something was off. And she asked me to stay after class one day and was like, whatever it is, if you need to talk to someone, you can always um, talk to me. And I was kind of like, how do you know? And she's like, no one, I don't know exactly what it is you went through, but if you need someone, um, (laughs) you can always rely on me. And she ended up being one of my mentors um, throughout um, my time at San Jose State. She really helped me out. And along with the counseling services there too. But aside from that, I will, on my other time, I had to go see someone else outside of school for everything that was going on. And that's really when I started to realize there was a lot of things going on with me that I didn't want to talk or share with anyone because I was kind of like, I was kind of scared. I'm like, if I show people my vulnerability, that makes me weak. And <laughs> mm, talk about that. Like that's it. I mean, that to me is a very machista mindset. You know, you can't show any feelings. You can't even be vulnerable. You can't even show like how you feel because then you're considered weak. You can't do anything. And no so hombre, you know, and like it's it's that kind of idea, you know. And so for you, did you think that prevented you like that, that kind of machista mindset? Or, you know, was it a mix of a lot of things? Like what prevented you from really opening up about not just being vulnerable, but just everything that was going on with you. Being the only guy in the family, that's the only thing I knew how to do (laughs) was this gender stereotype that was put on top of me of, you know what, suck it, suck it in. You're going to be, whatever it is, you can get through it. You don't have to show anything because if you show something, you're going to be weak, but it's actually the other way around. Mm -hmm. Like it takes so much strength to actually talk about everything and that that is going on that it really ends up helping you as a person yeah y por eso yo creo that a lot of the men in in latino cultures end up drinking so much and end up doing all these things right because of that mindset of tiene que ser fuerte tiene que ser el hombre de la casa you have to do all these things right and it's that it's that very 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 toxic stereotype of what a man should be, um, and you know like and and it goes both ways. You know, there's other pressures that women deal with, but in in this conversation, focusing around machista mindset and, and machismo in our cultures, like that's a huge thing, and that's why a lot of unfortunately a lot of people, a lot of men in our families, end up going down a really bad path because they don't know how to talk about their feelings. So they mask it with las drogas, with alcohol, you know. I mean, alcohol is a depressant, so it's definitely not helping, period. Um, but but yeah, that's definitely one of the reasons why I didn't want to share it with anyone. And the more I went to therapy, the more I was like, oh, wow. Maybe I should, I, this is definitely a problem. Like, I didn't realize all the all the things that were going on were because of, all the issues that happened as a kid, you know, which at the same time, I'm, I don't want to say that, I, like, I'm grateful for all those crazy things that happened, but I learned so much through it that it actually helped me grow up a lot faster and mature at a faster age than other people around me. You know, like, no eight-year-old is going to say, oh, I need you to leave your your husband. Like no eight year olds gonna step up and be like, okay, I got you guys. I'm gonna do what I can. Mm-hmm. Like right. all these things really helped me grow up as a person, but at the same time, I was still struggling with it as well. So the more I went to therapy, the more I was like really doing a lot of self reflecting, and I'm like, wow, all this was going on, and 
I didn't want to talk about it. I remember my mom making me go talk to people in like high school. And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't need to. I'm done. Whatever happened, it's over. Like I can continue with my own life, but I should have. <laughs> I definitely should have. Yeah. And well, after that whole incident happened uh, with me trying to commit suicide, Joe, the police officer, he reached out to me and was like, hey, Alex, would you be willing to do an interview? And I was like, definitely. So we did a quick interview and then he told me his idea of what he wanted to do. And he's like, you know what? I want to create this presentation and I want you to be part of it. I want you to help me train other police officers that come across these kind of crisis situations because I saw a lot of things that were not okay during your situation and I want to make sure we can address it. And I want you to be part of that conversation. So because of him, on top of going to therapy, I was able to travel the nation and go to different conferences Mm. um, and present that to other first responders as like a training exercise for them and also like a chance for them to kind of see my story as well. So that became very therapeutic. So that's one of the things that I've be that I've been able to do with this whole crazy experience. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Actually, you know, like, how have you navigated your mental health since and how have you taken the time to heal? And I know it's probably an ongoing process, too. But yeah, it's, it's a constant, it's a constant ongoing process. Like, I mean, uh, those presentations that I get to do are a lot of fun for me. The first one was so hard. Um, because they had actual, like, I didn't know this, but when Joe told me he had actual body cam footage, he's like, do you want to see it ahead of time? Because it's, it's pretty, it's pretty graphic. I was like, um, okay. And he showed me bits, like bits of it. But then when we, when we went out and presented it, I was like hiding in the back because he wanted me to be a surprise for everyone towards the end. And I'm seeing those body cam footage and the people next to me are like, why is this guy crying? And I'm just like, I'm trying to like make sure they don't see me because they're going to recognize me. And then sure enough, one of them recognized me. It's like, that's Alex. So, I mean, that itself was, was like challenging that first presentation where I went up there and shared my story and gave them like my perspective on everything that was going on became very therapeutic. So that was one of the things that really helped me out. Also being able to talk to someone consistently, like I ended up going to multiple therapy sessions for a while, um, which helped. And because I was diagnosed with major depression, they actually prescribed me antidepressants, which um, I am not against at all because some people really need them. But I was like, I don't want to depend on this medication to really make me happy. Like, Mm. if it's up to this medication to make me happy, then I really need to kind of dig deeper and see what I need for myself. Because I lost, when I was very depressed, I stopped doing a lot of things that I love to do. Like, I'm a huge exercise enthusiast. I love running. I love hiking. Um, I'm a very outdoorsy person. But when I was depressed, I stopped doing all those things. So I'm like, I need to stop taking these meds and start doing all these things that I like to do. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing that. I ended up reading um, and just hanging out with my friends all over again. And one of the biggest things that I really took from my therapy session was I need to be able to talk to someone, have at least a few people that you can trust to really open up about everything. And he really broke this down in a very, very great way. He said, listen, Alex, like you, you're inside your house. All right. You get to decide who gets to hang out on your patio. You get to decide who you let in and you get to decide who's out in the street. Just make sure whoever it is that you let inside your house, you actually are able to talk to about these things. And I was able to open up to my mom about these things after everything. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's good. And I'm going to steal it. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended up talking to my mom about these things now. Like I can have a very good conversation with her about everything. Mm. Um, My best friend now, he, whenever he knows me so well now that if anything's going on, he's like, all right, Alex, I got you. What do you need? You need a therapy session. You want to go to the gym? You want to go talk it over through a beer at Buffalo Wild Wings? Like that was our thing (laughs) back before this whole coronavirus hit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, now it's all virtual. 
exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh luckily he's my housemate so he's in the room next door oh there you oh. go just do take exactly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah those were definitely some of the things that's, that I. that's powerful yeah those are some of the things that I ended up really doing is really taking the time for myself like yeah um self-care is huge like especially if you're dealing with depression really take time for yourself you know as coming from a latino culture we come from this culture where we're always working always grinding trying to achieve something mm -hmm. that familias for other exactly, people that we lose sense of everything that is going on within ourselves which doesn't help us at all like mm -hmm. take a break está bien que descanses un rato take a break for yourself mm -hmm. it's it's what's best yeah, yeah. no that's Oof, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. I know you were getting, you know, emotional during it. So I, I truly like, it's so powerful. And for me, the powerful part about it is like, not only that you went through this really crazy ride with your mental health, and it led you to a point that you wanted to end it all. But the fact that you're like a Latino man talking about this in an open way, you know, very, very open of sharing. And I know it's taken you, you know, all those presentations to get to this point. But the fact that you're sharing your story as a Latino man in, you know, in, in light of a machismo culture and all of these things that happened and, and is definitely very real in our cultures, it's very powerful. And that to me is like why I couldn't stop thinking about your story. I'm like, this is something that so many people can relate to, Latino or not. <laughs> but the powerful part for me is that <laughs> just like, dang, this guy, like, that's amazing. It's amazing that you can get vulnerable and share these things. And so really quickly, you know, I know we're wrapping up soon, but I really want to ask you a very real question. And I know we kept talking about machismo. And for those that are listening and don't know what machismo means, do you want to quickly kind of go over what machismo means to you? And then we can talk about how we can collectively start flipping that narrative in our cultures and in our families. Yeah. So when it comes down to machismo, like you're, and I know there are a lot of people are going to be able to see this, but like you'll see your dad hanging out with a bunch of other guys and it's kind of like they give off this sense of, being manly being the one that really is provides everything they don't want to ask for help they don't want to talk about anything again showing vulnerability is weakness there's this mm -hmm. huge thing about like being able to show their masculinity in a way of not showing emotion and mm -hmm. i want to be able to flip that what really makes you a man and what really well just what really makes you a man is just open up about everything that is going on because one of the things that I learned from another podcast actually was you really get to know someone when they are vulnerable. So the, the digger you deep past the surface, the more you're going to learn about that person. And you won't be able to learn about a man if they're not put in a vulnerable situation. You won't get to know that person at all. And that's something I want to flip. Show your vulnerability. Talk about your feelings. Cry it out if you have to. Like, there is nothing wrong with it. we got to start being able to normalize that. Like, completely okay to say that you're not okay. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love that we can collectively flip that. And I think our... I honestly think our generation is going to make moves. Like, we are definitely going to flip that narrative. And it's going to take a long time. Because I know it's very... It's just the way that it's so ingrained in our culture, you know, and like, I think together we can definitely flip that. And, you know, being macho means you can show your feelings, you know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. you can you can feel like vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can normalize that. We can normalize <laughs> that. Um, so I know we're wrapping up and I want to skip to our cafecito and cheese because you are drinking your cafecito and I want to drink mine too. But <laughs> what are you, I know you talked a little bit about what you're up to. You're going around, you're doing these presentations, and obviously it's a little different now because we're in quarantena, you know, mm -hmm. things are not the same anymore. Um, but I kind of want to know, like, what are you up to? How can we support? How can we follow you? 
Um, and also if you have any tips for tips or resources for like self-care, mental wellness, um, for, you know, minorities, for Latinos, I'd love for you to also talk about any of those things that you can share with us. Um, so as for the resources, if you're a college student, look up your counseling services at your school. Every college campus has it. Uh, don't, don't be afraid to go. If you're, if you're a little hesitant, reach out to a professor that you know really well and they'll be able to connect you, but they're always there. Just um, reach out to them. The other thing, um, there are multiple organizations that can help you out. For one, the, Nas the National Institute for Mental Health Services. So give them a call. It's 1-800-273-TALK or 8225. They also have a Spanish line. So if um, you only speak Spanish, they have a Spanish line too, and that's 1-888-628-9454. And if you don't want to talk, you can text. There's a texting line also. Just text hello or talk to 741741. So I know a lot of people right now are not big on phone calls, but they're big on texting. So reach out, send a text. Um, it's okay to reach out like don't be afraid. And if you need to reach out to someone else, you can always reach out to me. I love helping people. Um, I, I'll listen to your story. I'll, I'm willing to help you out also. But there's that. There's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the National Alliance on Mental Health, NAMI. They're, all, they're really known for helping out Latinos. Um, mm. Or the Mental Health in America Foundation. All those, just type it in on Google and you'll get directly into it. Google's got everything now. <laughs> Google's got everything. Google Lealo, right? Exactly. That's what my, mom says. <laughs> I, my mom has this mug that says, I, you don't need Google, you have your mom. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> my mom's like, no, pone atención a Google. Yo, yo sé cómo hacer eso. I'm yeah. like, okay, okay. <laughs> and as for some self-care tips, you know, take, take time for yourself. Reach out to someone. Don't be afraid to, to talk about anything. Um, there's signs and symptoms. So if you know someone that's uh, going through these things, if you see that they're consistently tired, they're always irritable, um, they stop losing interest in things that um, they enjoyed doing before, uh, reach out to them because something might be going on. Or just reach out to a friend here and there. Like, just be like, hey, how are you? What, what are you up to? Like, don't be afraid to just send a random text to to a friend you haven't seen in a while because you never know maybe they stop reaching out because they're going through something you know yeah. um and i think the biggest thing is find a healthy way to deal with your stress and i don't mean like after a long day go and like don't talk about anything and just go drink like that is not a healthy way a healthy way is read read a book go outside um paint if you're a painter or try painting for the first time try something new you never know what you're gonna like i ended up falling in love with kayaking like that is a big thing for me now really yeah um i've only been kayaking once and it was so fun oh i ended up taking myself to miami after <laughs> and my the arms hurt dude i was <laughs> like damn this is a whole workout <laughs> um yeah i ended up taking myself to miami after that whole incident happened as like a self-care thing and I kayaked out there and I just mm -hmm. fell in love with it and got myself a kayak now. So I'm uh, going on a paddle next oh, week. Looking forward to it. Look at you. That's super cool. Yeah, But seriously, just find something that really helps you out. And something that really helped me out too was I started a gratitude journal. And that mm -hmm. itself is, is very powerful. Like you really do a lot of self-reflection to really see what you're grateful for. Like it could be the smallest thing like, oh, this... Um, this lady actually let me change lanes on my way to work. Like some people, yeah, the little, grateful, things, the, the little things, the little things, you know, it's so crazy. You mentioned, you just mentioned gratitude journal. I started that like a couple months ago and I fell off of it. You know, I kind of just like, you know, busy and things just happened. And I recently, literally, I kid you not, I started yesterday because <laughs> I was like, I need to be more grateful for the little things, the little things that really make my day mm -hmm. so much better, you know? 
even if it's just like, man, she really let me change those lanes or man, this coffee was so bomb this morning. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like the little things that really make your day so special and little by little, and it's reminding yourself of it. Exactly. And little by little, you'll, you'll start feeling a lot healthier and a lot happier as well. And exercise. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that exercise is medicine. You know, um, if you work out, it releases endorphins that lower depression levels. Like it is huge. If you're not that big on exercise, um, just take, go for a small walk. If you're huge on exercise and don't know where to start again, reach out to me. I got some awesome fitness programs to hit, <laughs> but just nice. really, really take some time for yourself. That is key. Oh, I love it. Well, let's, let's close this conversation. It was so powerful. I keep saying powerful because that's what I feel. <laughs> Um, but let's close this with a brindis and with, you know, redefining the hella Latino way with the cafecito. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I have my little cafecito here and and the way that I want to do this brindis with you, and I know you've listened to a couple episodes, so yes, but let's also manifest some good for our Latino community and we can focus it on whatever you want to focus it on, whether it's mental health, whether it's, you know, for the men, Latino men for machismo culture, how do we end it? You know, we can manifest whatever you'd like to, but I want to give you that chance, like almost a brindar and you say to what? <laughs> All right. So something I really want to manifest within our Latinx community is being able to normalize the conversation of depression, suicide, mental health, and men being open with their feelings. Like talk about everything that mm-hmm. is going on. Si necesitas que llorar, pues llora. It's it's perfectly okay. Yeah. Um, don't be afraid to share what's going on because it, it's okay to not be okay. And take some self-care days for yourself, no matter what it is. If you need a break from work, talk to your boss. Like, hey, you know what? I need a, I need a break from, from everything. And they will understand. Um, work-life balance is very important. School-life balance is very important. So take time for yourself. It was for my hella Latino people out there, this is something I thought about. Y pues con las palabras del famoso Walter Mercado, les deseo paz. Yes. Y sobre todo, mucho, mucho amor. Mucho, mucho amor. Salud. Salud. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Alex, gracias times a million for sharing your story so vulnerably with us. Today, I want to give a shout out to Cisco Kid Photography, a Chicano Bay Area native capturing his culture here in San Diego. Specifically, he captures beautiful photos of lowriders. His love and pride in where he comes from is so, so evident. So go follow him on IG at Cisco Kid Photography. Remember to tune in next week for more cafecito and chisme and more hella Latino love. Follow me on Twitter at Oladis Jasmine, Instagram at OJasmine with four A's, and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andreña.